church. Good morning, church. Let's try that one more time. Good morning, church. You're sounding good now. Um, My wife and I are very excited about this care portal. Boy, if if we had that when we were pastors, we would have eaten that up. That's really good. Getting the church in the community, and some of you may be uncertain about it, but just watch. I think something really good is going to come from that. Uh, So you know why we are here, and I didn't know that Lydia was going to be here, so uh, I did find two or three pictures, so see if you can put those up real quick. Since Pastor Jonathan didn't show you the face, next slide, and next one. Um, My wife and I are very... Um, we're excited about what we do. Uh, It's an adventure. We are on an adventure. We're on an adventure to affect and change the world. And we're not just affecting a local church, but literally we're having an effect on on a a nation, a country. Uh, I'm going to share with you a few things in a minute about, because we've had some real struggles in part of that process. It's one reason... We were here last time, but I'll share just briefly about that in a few minutes. But we're part of an adventure, and seeing the kingdom of God advanced, light always pushes back darkness. And even going back to the care portal, light always pushes back darkness. And when you're able to take light in where light needs to be, it does its work. God always works. So I really like that. I want to talk from Philippians about finding a joy that lasts. Now, when I I look at this, um, joy is something that we often really struggle with. And uh, Philippians is a book about joy. And I have a couple scriptures I want to read. They're up on the screen. Go ahead. These I didn't have in my notes. I think this is the theme of the entire book. Philippians 4.4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. This book is about joy. It's about rejoicing. It's not just about rejoicing when Nebraska wins. It's not just rejoicing when a baby is born. It's not just rejoicing when things go well, but it's learning in all things to rejoice. That's the theme that really comes out. We're in the second chapter, and the second chapter begins like this. Go to the next slide. It's coming. Can I just tell you, there have been some technical issues. It has nothing to do with our technicians, but there have been some issues. Philippians, the second chapter, begins like this. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, If any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. So in this chapter, he begins saying, listen, this is partly about my joy, and what you do even completes something in me. But he's talking about joy in this chapter. I want to share three things, and it's really about finding a lasting joy. But there's really a difference between joy and happiness, and this is one of the problems that we struggle with. 
I found a, a secular psychologist, Sandra Brown. She wrote in psych Psychology Today, and this was really relating a little bit to her own mother. And listen to what she said. Happiness is external. It's based on situations, events, people, places, and thoughts. It is dependent on outward situations, people, or events to align with your expectations so that the end result is your happiness. Joy is not external. It cannot be bought. It is not conditional on someone else's behavior. In fact, joy is not contingent on anything in order to exist. Now, she began to describe her mom and the rough life her mother had. And she said this, the transitory things of life are happiness-based. She had a big house and lost a big house when she divorced my father. She had a big career and lost a big career when she got too old, according to our culture, uh, to have that kind of job she had. And she had diamonds and she lost diamonds. And yet she described her mom as being this person with incredible joy and people and women would come to her and say, how did you get that kind of joy? I want the kind of joy you had. And this was her kind of definition of her mom's joy. Her joy came from deeply held spiritual beliefs but also came from a place even beyond that. Joy comes when you make peace with who you are, where you are, why you are. When you need nothing more than truth and the love of a good God to bring peace, then you have settled into the abiding joy that is not rocked by relationships. It's not rocked by anything. Finding a joy that lasts. Not bad from a secular psychologist. So I find that people react differently to hard times. See, sometimes we feel it's normal for us to react the way we do to the difficulties in life. However, that's not true. If it were true, then everyone would react to the same situations. But the amazing thing is two people can go through a situation and one person, it has rocked their world, and the next person still has a smile on their face. Therefore, what's going on can't be based on the external situation. There has to be something different on the inside. So people react differently to hard times. Some people are up and down based on the situation. Some people have joy regardless of the situation. Some people discover joy which is not based upon people and situations. Some people find that people and situations steal their joy. Now, I wanted, you to, I wanted to give you a little picture of what we're talking about. And so I want to step down where I can see the slides as you see them and describe it to you. So the emotions we have when joy has been robbed are, are really different. But it's hard to have joy when you feel that you have reached your limit or overloaded, but people keep asking more of you. Go to the next slide. This is a train in Bangladesh filled on the inside and the outside. Next slide also. Sometimes you might feel like that, overloaded to the limit, and yet people keep asking one more thing of you. It's hard to have joy when you just feel so overloaded that you have difficulty moving forward. Go to the next slide. Some of you might feel that, that you can't even move forward because of how, uh, how heavy you have been loaded. Next slide. Next slide. 
Sometimes it's hard to have joy when you feel like problems are always around you, maybe even following you. Next slide. Some of you can relate to that. It seems like everywhere you turn, there's a problem. Have you noticed that? Some people that seem to be blessed are always blessed. Some people that have problems always have problems. Every place you go, there's another problem. It's hard to have joy when you feel like your best days are behind you and life will never be the same. Next slide. This is an old church that has seen its best days, barely standing. It's hard to have joy when your financial situation defines everything you do. Look at this slide. Recession car wash. Sometimes everything you do is defined by your financial situation. I like this. It's hard to have joy when even happy times make you sad. Or this next one. Have a very gloomy day and a very bad Christmas. Bah humbug to you. (laughs) Even times that make us happy, sometimes when our joy is gone, we experience that. I have a couple more for you. It's hard to have joy when you feel stuck in your situation. Look at this one. (laughs) Have you felt stuck in your situation? There's no way out. Uh, The next one, it's hard to have joy when there is no clear direction in front of you. And some of you find that. When there's no clear direction, it's like you don't know what to do. And one more, when you do not have joy, you feel like you're just barely hanging on. Just barely hanging on. One of the things that I find is that when we look at joy, um, we really need to compare joy and hard times. James 1 says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. I usually think those two words should not be in the same sentence. Joy and hard times. In the same sentence, consider it pure joy, when you face trials. Consider it pure joy when you face trials. You have to understand that God has a different uh, perspective on the hard times we face than we do. Verse 3, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. The issue is that he says, your hard times are testing your faith. Your faith is your trust in God. And the hard times come, they're testing to see, are you going to continue trusting God or are you not? He says, consider it pure joy. There's joy even in the midst of the hard times. Your faith is being tested. Are you going to trust God in the midst of this situation? When we focus on the troubles we live live in, we miss what God only reveals during hard times. There's things that God only reveals during hard times. I want to share this real fast. I don't want you to waste your hard times. Sometimes we complain, we want them gone, but God has a redemptive purpose. God has a redemptive purpose. Ephesians 5 said, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. The days are evil, he says, so redeem them. The days are evil. We don't want them around anymore. 
We might say it's a politician, it's this person, that person, this circumstance, it's recession. God says, redeem it. There's a redeemable purpose in those hard times. In fact, in Genesis 50, Joseph said, but as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. So the first thing about not wasting your hard times is God has a redeeming purpose. Turn to somebody close to you and say, that's pretty good. Oh, you didn't mean it, I can tell. Number two, God shows his power when evil advances. See, my concepts of what of going through hard times have really changed. God shows his power when evil advances. In Isaiah 59, King James Version, it says, when the enemy shall come in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. I can tell you, God does not just sit back and say, oh, just let the enemy do what he wants to do. When the enemy comes in, God comes in. When the enemy comes in, God comes in. When evil comes in, God comes in. You find that throughout scripture. And so when I'm going through hard times, I realize, hey, listen, if I'm seeing evil and trouble, that means that God is coming in, and I need to be looking for it. The third one, God increases, or God's grace increases when evil advances. Romans 5.20, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. You see, I believe that in the most evil times, we should expect a harvest of souls. In the most evil times, we should expect a harvest of souls because regardless of how much evil there is, there's more grace. More evil, God just keeps pouring out the grace. So you think this evil of ISIS, but did you know that even with ISIS, there's ISIS members turning to Jesus? Did you know that Christians, that the kingdom is always advanced during persecution? That where grace advances, where grace increases when there's evil. When I'm going through hard times, you just have to understand there is more grace that's being poured out. You just have to receive it. But we focus on the problems and we miss those things that produce joy. Number four, God reveals his strength to help us. I, I think this is where God shines. This is where God is at his best during difficult times. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, and he said, My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly will I rather boast in my infirmities. What? Boast in my infirmities? Boast in my weakness? He must have a different perspective because he's really saying, Listen, in the midst of my hard times, I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to boast. Because he's learned something, that the power of Christ may rest upon me, that I take pleasure in my infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecution, in distress, for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I'm strong. In the midst of your hard times, don't waste your hard times, because in the midst of your hard times, God reveals his strength. God reveals his strength and his power. And so Paul says, listen, I can boast in the midst of my hard times. I can rejoice in the midst of my hard times because in the midst of my greatest weakness, God's greatest power is revealed. You hearing what I'm saying? Are you with me? Do I need to start over? <laughs> Are you with me? In the midst of your greatest hardship, God's power is being revealed. 
Number five, God shows his great provision. I love this. My wife has so many stories that he, she could tell you. Psalm 37 says this, I have been young and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken nor his descendants begging bread. I've been young and now I'm old, never seen the righteous forsaken or their seed begging bread. In other words, in the midst of recession, in the midst of hardship, God's provision always comes through. You see, this is what we typically think, though. We think that during recession, during hard times, that um, there is less to go around. That's because you're looking at the problems. There has never been a recession in heaven. There has never been a recession in heaven. In fact, in Trinidad, the economy is built on oil. And so in Trinidad, I tell them that God's blessing and his provision is never based on the price of a barrel of oil. It just isn't. His ability to provide for you is not based on those things. In fact, even your job is not where your provision comes from. It comes from God. God just happens to be using a paycheck right now. So when you understand those things in the midst of your hardship, you can still have joy because you realize he's a great provider and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Number six, God gives his people vision. I, I love this. This is really good. Faith sees the other side of our obedience. See, right now in the midst of hardship, you can't see the other side. Psalm 23, 4 says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The valley of the shadow of death is not a destination. You're just passing through. And people that understand properly, they understand that this hardship, there's something on the other side for me. In fact, Hebrews 11:13 says this, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. They were looking for something beyond the present. In the midst of their hardship, God gave them a picture of something up ahead, like Moses standing on the hill looking at the promised land. In fact, Moses standing on the hill looking at the promised land, knowing he wouldn't see it, but he had a picture of it. It's the same imagery that Martin Luther King used when he had his famous speech the day before he died. And he said, I've been to the mountaintop. And he looked and he sees what's over there. Gave indication, I may not see it. I may not experience it, but I've been there. In the midst of your hardship, God wants to show you the other side of your obedience. And the last one with this, God's kingdom advances during hard times and oppression. You have to understand, this is the most amazing thing. I could talk all over the world, all over the world, but hard times, opposition, persecution always advances the kingdom. It always advances the kingdom. Now, you may find there's a re settlement of where Christians are. The number of Christians in Syria has been reduced drastically. It used to have been probably 10% of the population. It's really low right now. A lot of them are refugees. Many have been killed. 
But I can tell you this, the kingdom of God is never sliding backwards. It's always advancing. Scripture says this, Philippians 1.12, but I want you to know, brother, that the things which have happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel so that it became evident to the whole palace guard and all the rest that, that my chains are in Christ. And Saul said in Acts 8.1, Saul's persecution scattered the church and advanced the gospel. Now, so I don't want you to waste your hard times. I don't want you to sit there complaining about your hard times. I don't want you to have every prayer request, oh God, get me out of this hard time. I want you to understand that in the midst of the hard times, God has things for you that you have never seen. And if you understand correctly, you can have the joy in the midst of your difficulties and a joy that will last. So we need to refocus to find a lasting joy. So the very first thing coming from Philippians, the second chapter, and I'm doing these not in the direct order that they are in the chapter, but the very first thing is Jesus. Focus on Jesus. Focus on Jesus. Focus on Jesus and not yourself. Philippians 2.21 says, For everyone looks out for their own interests and not those of Christ. Paul says, everyone seems to be looking out for themselves, but nobody's looking out for Christ. He said, there's really an issue here. Their priorities are mixed up. Now, we're in a book that's dealing with joy, in a chapter dealing with joy. And he says, you know, one of the problems is their priorities are mixed up. They're so focused on the problems, they're not focusing on Jesus. In this book, 16 times joy, rejoicing, etc., is discussed. But Paul's just saying, your priorities are mixed up. Hebrews 12.2 says this, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. Listen to this. For the joy set before him, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Those two things do not seem to go together. Joy and the cross. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Do you see what Paul is saying here? When we get our priorities mixed up and we focus on the problems, we're not focused on Jesus, and it's no wonder you're struggling to have joy. He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse 3, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Are you going to grow weary and lose heart during good times? Boy, I just can't handle any more of these good times. I just can't handle any more of these blessings. No, it's during hard times. Get your priorities right. Fix your eyes on Jesus. So during the difficult times, you won't grow weary and lose heart. Do you hear what I'm saying? So this matter is really beginning by putting our priority on Jesus, focusing on Jesus. Matthew 6.33, 6.31 starts. So do not worry saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. I, I think it's a couple things that are important. Is First of all, he identifies what everybody else does. What every one of your neighbors does, he says, don't do that. 
what every one of your neighbors, how they respond to difficulties, do not do that. That's what everybody else does. He says your father knows what you need. In fact, Matthew 6 tells us in another place that he knows what you need even before you ask. So your neighbors all run after all these things. Don't do that. Your father knows what you need. Some of you have financial issues. And you're panicking. Got to have this. Got to have this. What am I going to do? Some of you have other issues. Your neighbors all do that. But 33 says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. See, the issue really has to do with the matter of priorities. So I could really ask, in the midst of your difficulties, what's Jesus doing? Where is he? Sometimes you feel like you're all alone in the midst of your troubles. I can tell you, you're not alone. Jesus is with you. But when our focus is off of him, all we see is the problems. Peter was doing the most amazing thing that anyone has ever heard of. He was walking on the water toward Jesus. And then he began to sink because he saw the wind and the waves. Something went through his head. This is a little crazy. This should not be happening. Now, Jesus was in the same place. Jesus hadn't moved. But Peter's focus changed. Jesus reached out, took him, and Peter walked a second time on water back to the boat. There's a difference when our focus is on Jesus because we can handle anything and you can have joy in the midst of the storm. Is Jesus panicked in the midst of your situation? Of course not. When you focus on Jesus, we have proper perspective on life and problems. We are not focused on our problems. Jesus takes care of our problems. When we're focused on him, we realize he takes care of those things. And hear this. When we're focused on Jesus, we literally open up the windows of heaven on our behalf. When you're focused on Jesus, you're opening up the windows of heaven. Now, I'm not saying do this to get that, but you just understand this is a principle of the kingdom. When I put priorities right, I am freeing heaven to work on my behalf. And when you focus on Jesus, we experience joy. We experience joy. I think sometimes it's really tough to walk out situations. A friend of ours named Wayne, um, there's been so many people who have experienced things and walked through victoriously. Wayne was a guy that always stands out in my mind. Uh, He was going to church, and he was a guitar player, had a 12-string guitar, real expensive. He was putting it in the car. His neighbor was talking to him, and after they were through talking, he got in the car and backed out of the driveway right over his 12-string guitar. He told me, my first reaction was, well, praise the Lord, it's his guitar anyway. His attitude was that God gave it to me. It's his guitar. And in the midst of financial loss, personal loss, his focus was on Jesus rather than complaining. Second principle out of Philippians, 
really deals with others, focus on others. So we first of all focus on Jesus, then we focus on others. Philippians 2, 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility value others above yourself. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility value others above yourself. See, I really think that if we begin applying this, there should never ever be a conflict in a church. Now, since I've been in church since I was two weeks old, I know there will be conflicts. But if we were to start putting these principles that relate to joy into practice, those things which irritate us about people would go away. So he goes on and says, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interests of others. So therein is really the key thing that he's talking about. So first of all, we're to focus on Jesus instead of our issues and problems. Suddenly, secondly, we're to focus on others rather than ourselves and our own needs. But I can tell you, when we have problems, all we can see is our own problems. And sometimes we're saying, why hasn't anyone prayed for me? Why didn't anyone call? Don't they realize what I'm going through? Why isn't Jesus helping me? We're focused on ourselves. But he says, when you switch it around, it begins to deal with interpersonal relationships. In fact, there's an amazing thing that happens when you begin to focus on others and not yourself because your perspective on your own problems begin to change. Jesus discussed this in Mark 12. This is what he said. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. That's the focusing on Jesus. And he said, verse 31, the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. He says, I can sum up everything about being in God's kingdom, everything about scripture, everything about the law in two statements. Focus on Jesus, focus on God, and focus on others. And suddenly, everything comes into proper alignment and focus. When we focus on others, we are generous. In fact, people that are focusing on others are looking for ways to be generous. Generous is not simply an issue of money or giving. Gener generosity is an issue of the heart. Because when we focus on what we do not have, then we become stingy. When we focus on what we have to give, we become generous. Did you know in scripture that God never asks you what you do not have? He asks what you have. I could give you examples of this. One is the woman, the widow, whose sons were being taken to pay the bill. In other words, they were gonna be slaves until the debt was paid. Her husband had died, he was a prophet, man of God. We have nothing. The man of God says, well, what do you have? Well, all we have is just a little bit of oil. That's all. That's all you need. He didn't ask, well, what's your need? Tell me exactly what it is. I want to know the need. He says, what do you have? And out of what she had was where the miracle came. See, the miracle is in the house. You find the story of the widow with Elijah. She was preparing her last meal for herself and her son, and then they were going to die. And the man of God says, fix something for me first. And out of that last meal, it never ran out. 
with Moses. What do you have in your hand? Just an old stick. That's okay. I can use even a stick. There's something about people that realize that what I have is enough. Even if all you have is a few loaves and a few fish. That's okay. God can feed 5,000 men, not counting women and children. If there had been one loaf and one fish, he could have done it. If there had been one loaf, he could have done it. It didn't matter. The issue is our heart. And when we have a generous heart, God is able to use anything we have to produce a miracle. It's not on the outside somewhere, but it flows from a generous heart. When we focus on others, we are ministering. God flows through us to touch other people. That's one of the most amazing things. When you focus on others, we're always touching somebody's life. God flows through us to touch other people. We're looking for opportunities to help others. People that are focused on others, they're always looking for someone else that they can minister to. And I really like this. When we're focused on others, we're not focused on our own problems. And... I think that may be the most incredible thing because as soon as we get our eyes off of our own issues, things just change on the inside. Because I think also as we focus on Jesus, we're focusing on others, we realize how blessed we really are. There's the man who always complained he had no shoes until he saw the man with no feet. And he realized how blessed he really was. And again, we open the windows of heaven toward us and we begin to realize that we are blessed and highly favored unless instead of viewing ourselves as people with all these troubles and hardships we realize we're blessed and highly favored and we also realize that we begin to experience joy a missionary friend of ours he's an an old-time missionary when my wife and I were in school he was in the states for a short while, and he went to a basketball game with us, the college we had. I was on the basketball team, so he was there. And when we were through, we were going out to eat, and he was coming with us, and uh, we could not find him anywhere. We looked and looked and could not find him. Finally, I said, well, let me go back inside. I went back out inside, and I found this missionary. He was helping the custodian clean up. And I said to him, what are you doing? He gets paid for this. He says, I know, I know, but he needed help. He was just this type of guy that's always looking for others. Always had joy because he's always touching someone's life and bringing a smile to them. So we first of all focus on Jesus We focus on others and finally focus on you. Philippians 2.12 says this. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing and so that you may become blameless and pure Children of God without fault in a warped and corrupt and a crooked generation, then you will shine. Then you will shine like the stars in the sky. It is not God who acts for us. God is working in us so that we are changed from the inside out. 
Now, we try to work really hard at lots of things. But really, when the focus is on us, we focused on Jesus and others, and it's, we're focusing on ourselves, it's really focusing on allowing God to work because he's working on us from the inside out. I like that. Because when the change comes from the inside, we notice a change. It, it affects itself in the way we walk out. You can force outward change without inward change, and you're still the same person. Like the little boy who didn't want to sit down, and his mother finally made him sit down, and he says, I may be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. God wants to deal with the inside of us, so he's the one who's working in us. He leads us and influences us to will and to do God's will. He doesn't force us, but he influences us and leads us so that what becomes what is our will is actually God's will. He works on the inside so that what begins changing is that our will is to do his will. Our will is to do his will. God doesn't do it for us. He doesn't make us robots, but on the inside, he adjusts us and changes us. He does not compel us or force us against our will. He leads us to have a will that lines up with him. Your will cannot be forced, but God is able to exert influence in us so as to make us willing to obey him. I like that, willing to obey him. One of the hardest times in my life was really this last year. And I really have told hardly anyone about all of this, but there were, part of it has to do with our immigration and legal things. And we've been in a process for two years trying to get residency. And um, it's been a real challenge. Uh, we had some of the most incredible divine favor you would ever want. The former prime minister spoke to government officials on our behalf. We went to church with him. He sits right, used to sit right behind my wife. And he, his secretary went and talked to supervisors. Everything was laid out. It all fell through. We tried another approach, fell through. We, with a new government, had a new approach. Someone who was a lifelong friend of an influential pastor set up a meeting, took our application, said no problem. No problem didn't mean no problem. He had our application for 14 months and didn't do anything. Because he didn't do anything, in reality, we overstayed our visa for five or six months. He says, it's no problem. You've submitted your application, but he didn't do anything with it. There's no record that that had happened. We couldn't even get our application back. So when we were in the States, we had to get new FBI background checks, new birth certificates, marriage certificates, new letters, all kinds of stuff. He cost us a lot. So last summer... My wife came to the States because of grandkids, and she could not go back to Trinidad. She was stuck in the States for five weeks. 
during that time, we had two teams coming to Trinidad. Like the month of July, we'll have 12 people with us. We go back tomorrow, and Wednesday we have 12 people, the beginning of 12 people coming. So we had two teams coming, and my wife couldn't re-enter Trinidad. We didn't have what was needed. Five weeks, she's stuck in Houston. I'm leading two teams by myself. I'm making this trip, two-hour trip to national security. Forty times I made this trip. Physically, I'm worn out, leading teams. I'm interim pastor at a church, over 200, that was, that was going through a really tough transition. Emotionally, I'm worn out, and it began taking a toll on me spiritually. I was really about at the end, about at a burnout place, even when Pam was able to come and help. And in the midst of those difficulties, and with the help of, uh, well, Pastor Greg was one, I began having coffee with him over the internet. And as I began going through this, I really realized I have to find a way in the midst of this difficulty to have a breakthrough. How do I have a breakthrough in the midst of the hardest things that I have experienced? And Philippians here says we need to focus on Jesus. We need to focus on others. And I began sowing to the Spirit in the midst of things I didn't even want to be going through, didn't even want to be there. I couldn't even leave Trinidad if I wanted to. We didn't even have passports for three months. And I began just sowing to the Spirit, focusing on Jesus. And I can tell you this. I, I told Pastor Greg, I said, before we leave, I want a breakthrough. And I remember the times that I would say, I had one good day this week. Three weeks before we left, something along that line, there was a breakthrough that happened. And joy returned in the midst of the difficulties. We had no clue when we came to the States, February, if we would ever return. In fact, we ended up being here for three months. But what happened was God began to open doors. But a joy that returned inside was not based on situations. Not one thing changed on the outside. But the change happened in here. And it became that joy that is not based on outward circumstances. I just want to say to you, you can't escape the fact that hard times are going to come, that troubles are going to come your way. Troubles happen in life. Troubles happen to everybody. Sometimes you feel you may have more troubles than others, but I can tell you this. In the midst of your troubles, God has something for you, and he wants to show you a joy that is inside that is not based on circumstances. He wants to show you a joy that's lasting. That's what Paul talked about in Philippians. In just a minute, I'm going to pray with you, and I'm going to pray for a joy that will supersede all the external things. Worship team, you can come to the, to the stage. And I want to pray in the midst of your difficult things that God will refocus you and cause you to focus on Jesus and focus on others and away from your problems, and you'll let him work on you from the inside out. Because really when that happens, you put those three components together, Jesus and others and you, 
and it really spells joy, which is the message of Philippians. Jesus and others and you. Father, we come before you. In this room are people that love you intensely, but in this room are people that experience many difficulties and many struggles. Father, what we're asking is really from this message of Philippians that you would help us to refocus ourselves in the midst of our problems, not to remove us, but in the midst of us, teach us and show us. Teach us to focus on you. Teach us to look at others and not our own situation and to allow you to work from the inside out to produce a joy that lasts and is unshakable. So what I want you to do right now is all of us, just put your hands in front of you like you're receiving something. We're going to pray and just ask God to minister to you right now. Put your hands in front of you. So Father, right now, I just ask that you would breathe joy into some hearts where there has been a hopelessness and all that has been able to be seen has been problems. No answers, Lord. I pray that you would cause there to be a glimmer of hope that the valley of the shadow of death is something they are just passing through, that there is a picture of the other side that you're taking them through. In the name of Jesus, the stronghold that hard times and difficulties have had on some lives, in the name of Jesus, may it be broken. May that hold be broken. May the chains be broken. And may there be a setting free starting today. I pray, Father, that you would begin to do a work inside that refocuses and rearranges. I pray you'd produce a generous heart in people toward others. I would pray that you would cause them to no longer be focused on their problems. I pray that they would no longer try to get out of their issues, but to experience your grace and power and strength in the midst of them. And Father, I pray that an all-surpassing joy would encompass their heart, their life, their family, and everything they do in the name of Jesus. Now,